0: Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey.
1: I'm really delighted uh, that our congregation is welcoming Joanne Anquist to offer the sermon today on Activating Peace. Uh, You may be familiar with Joanne, she was a congregant and a staff member here at our church, at a very critical time in our history as we were seeking to change and transform Hillhurst United Church. Uh, Joanne is someone who reminds us that it is progressive theology and an evangelical spirit that makes that happen. And I agree. Uh, Someone who was here to help begin the musicals at our church. uh, Someone who was a staff person helping to consider the affirming work and communications work. Uh, Joanne was someone who I could be myself with. We would argue, we would laugh, we would cry. And from that place, we would seek to be a transforming community. Joanne uh, left Hillhurst United Church and then went to the Atlantic School of Theology. She is an ordained uh, minister in the United Church at McDougall. And she is someone who I turn to uh, to talk about the news, to talk about theology. She cares about her work. She's got a bright mind and she's got a passionate uh, love of the faith. And so it's great to welcome her to Hillhurst United Church and to share her wisdom with you today. So on behalf of our congregation, Joanne, we welcome you to Hillhurst United Church. Welcome back. It's so great to have you here.
0: I just want to thank you for having me here at Hillhurst. Um, I worked here many, many moons ago when it was just a tiny place. Uh, That was when we actually had candles that were blue and pink (laughs) instead of white. Uh, And you can all email John and uh, put in your um, requests for a more liturgically accurate candle set. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's lovely. Will you pray with me? God of all, in this Advent time, this season of waiting, these moments of not knowing, we pray that we would open our hearts to what you have for us. Amen. So here we are in the season of Advent. This is week two, well and truly immersed in the holiday season. This year, of course, we're unsure of how we can gather and in what way, how many, but most of us are more comfortable considering get-togethers than we were this time last year. That's certain. And with that comes some added anxiety that's not related to COVID at all. i recently come across several articles that talk about how to get along with your family during holiday meals. They come out of the States where Thanksgiving was recently celebrated, and that's the busiest time of the year for travel in the U.S., I'm told, as people make their pilgrimages back home to endure the prying eyes and prodding questions of relatives, to Feel, once again, the deep hurts of childhood that resurface in remember-when tales where you were the one who was embarrassed. And to try to expertly avoid the conversation with your racist uncle or some other politically incorrect relative that threatens to turn the dream of a peaceful family sit down into an uncomfortable exercise in biting your tongue and changing the subject. How about those flames? Have you seen any good movies lately? What's your Netflix binge? Those are the safe topics of conversation. And there's always someone in the family who's the peacemaker, who tries to smooth things over. Can't we all just get along, they say. Let's not talk about that. I think what she's really trying to say is this. Now, if you've never experienced a gathering like this, give an extra ounce of thanks this Christmas, because usually families are complicated. Loving, yes but complicated, and our deeply held beliefs about life and purpose and religion and meaning are sometimes in conflict with each other. And if that's the case, you might want to avoid conflict. You end up talking about things that don't actually matter to you just to keep the peace. Holidays are fun, aren't they? And still in the midst of this, we light a candle For peace. It's a small flicker, hardly enough to change anything. And yet, like any light, it glows way beyond its borders. In this simple ritual, we enact the hope that peace is possible. It reminds us of the promise from our text that has been read from Isaiah. The people walking in darkness are seeing a brilliant light, Upon those who dwell in a land of deep shadows, light is shining. Well, if we've ever had a land of deep shadows, it's here and now. But the promise of light, the promise of peace for the Hebrew people whose history is rife with violence and war, occupation and captivity, That promise is the longing found in this reading from Isaiah. It says, for a child is born to us, an heir is given us, upon whose shoulders dominion will rest. This one shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the strength of God, eternal protector, champion of peace. Other texts say Prince of Peace but the hebrew scriptures don't agree on how this final peace this in the end there's going to be peace will be achieved for some it's after a great final battle where the forces of god will defeat and destroy the forces of evil and in this scenario god is the great army commander who will bring peace through victory through winning a battle through vanquishing the enemy it's the path to peace that has been followed through most of human history. So it's no wonder that we ascribe this method to God as well. One of the names of God is the commander of the heavenly armies. God is the commander who brings peace through victory. Of course, this was the approach that was also favored by the Roman Empire. Julius Caesar, who after winning a great battle in 47 BCE announced his victory with Veni Vidi Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. And Augustus, who brought the unrest of the empire to heal around the time of Christ, erected a monument that said victory with peace secured on land and sea. The Roman empire was committed to peace through victory, violence and war. Trouble is peace that is attained at the point of a sword is rarely sustainable. You may have put down a rebellion, but violence begets resentment and ultimately more violence. We've seen that time and again. It happened in Rome. It happens today. But there's another way in the Hebrew scriptures that also figures prominently in the readings. Peace will not come through the great final battle, but rather through a great final feast. God will invite all humanity to the table to share together the benefits of the land and the protection of the covenant. Peace will be won through justice, through a fair sharing of the world's resources, through equality and compassion and mercy. The last verse of our reading highlights this, this dominion and this peace will grow without end, it says, with David's throne, because he was the one who uh, was in Israel at the time of the greatest peace. David's throne and realm sustained with justice and fairness now and forever. This is peace through justice. And it's the only peace that can be truly lasting. Jesus knew this. The writers of the Gospels knew this and a kind of counterpoint to the beliefs of the empire that Caesar was God and should be worshipped in grandiose temples and celebrated with wonderful monuments. The birth parables kind of mock or lampoon the Roman peace through victory and set up this peace through justice program. Jesus is conceived by God, just like Caesar worshipped just like Caesar. But the heralds proclaim his birth to the shepherds, who are the marginalized. And there is no palace. There is only a manger. And Jesus is our Caesar, writers insist. And God's plan for peace is nothing like Rome's. So what does the Jesus strategy for peace look like? It's more intimate. It's more grassroots, you might say. It starts in the hearts of people whose lives are transformed. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus says, and your neighbor as yourself. This is all you need to know. And throughout his ministry, Jesus teaches and heals and encourages and insists that the realm of God is among them when they practice love amongst themselves, a grace-given love that was unconditional, that made no demands except go and do likewise. But Jesus doesn't just engage with his disciples or the people who agree with him. There were times he spoke truth to power. Think of the turning of the tables in the temple. But he reserves his anger for religious leaders who have forgotten whom they serve. And he also engages those who are questioning this program. There's a lawyer who asks him, how do you find eternal life in the rich young ruler who isn't quite ready to sell everything and give it to the poor. And Jesus has dinner at the homes of Pharisees. He argues with Judas when he tries to tell him the perfume that the woman is using on his feet could feed the hungry. Jesus' life was not without conflict and disagreement, but it was always wrapped in love. Peace through justice For all is fueled by great love. That is the only program of peace that can possibly matter. The great final feast in action. A table that has a place for everyone. So what does this peace through victory, peace through justice look like now? And what does it mean for us in the middle of this holiday season we're all planning? And I'm not talking about the obvious things like protesting police power or rights of the poor and the marginalized. We have learned something about how to demonstrate peacefully and have our voices heard around all kinds of issues where injustice is evident. I'm more talking on that intimate on the ground, come follow me terrain that Jesus favored in our everyday lives. Because there used to be a time when you had friends and neighbors who you disagreed with, but who you liked and even loved nonetheless. There was political discourse that was civil where each side laid out their position with all the vigor of a true believer. But when the vote was taken, whichever side won, you could still have a beer with the other. And I'm not claiming it was all roses by any means. After all, if you look at the House of Commons, for most of our history, it was populated by white European males. And as much as you continued in relationship with people you disagreed with, they were almost always people that were just like you in most ways. They had the same skin, same religion, same language. But there was at least a model for how to disagree without being disagreeable. There was a way to engage in conversations that might be productive at achieving a common program of action, even if you came at it from different positions, peace was not a lack of conflict, but it was kept through civil dialogue and mutual respect. And I'm afraid that's not the way it is anymore. And I think the internet with its algo, algorithms has moved this along, I almost called it algorithm, like it was a person, hey? I know this because my Twitter feed and my Facebook feed are filled with people who think just like me. And the few times I've tried to engage online with people who think differently than I do ended with no agreement, a lot of harsh words, and a resolution on my part to never get in a Facebook fight again. But real life isn't as easy as online. I mean, I come into contact with plenty of people with whom I disagree. I've had conversations with family members over the protests around police violence with them insisting that January 6th wasn't an insurrection. It was nothing really, and it was over in four hours, while cities like Portland and Minneapolis burned for months. That false equivalency conversation that we've had with so many people. I have a relative in my extended family who thinks gun ownership is important to protect himself against intruders and the possibility of a rogue government led by Trudeau for sure. And of course, most of us has someone in our lives that we disagree with about vaccine mandates or testing mandates, as some call them, and the public health orders that we are all subject to now. And what is our instinct? Cut them out of your life, avoid disagreement, keep the peace. I remember a conversation with someone who insisted she would not let someone in her life who thought George Bush was a good guy There's a tendency in our culture to try to create silos and bubbles of ideological purity where we don't have to be confronted by any ideas that make us uncomfortable. And the trouble is, as much as it gives us inner peace and it's easier for us in our lives, that kind of peace is really peace through victory. There has been no resolution. At best, there is only detente. I read a tweet the other day that said to be pro-peace, is to be pro-conflict. They said that violence is an attempt to bypass conflict with overwhelming force. Dylan Moran, an Irish comedian, says that war is not conflict, it's the inability to have conflict. And as much as blocking, Someone on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or any other of those social media platforms or ghosting your friends with whom you disagree or disinviting the uncomfortable relatives or just finding a chosen family because you can't get along with yours. Makes life easier. Sometimes it's just a subtle form of peace through victory. And again, there are times when these boundaries are necessary, but I fear they become our go-to strategy for keeping the peace. But we can't keep shutting out people with whom we disagree. If we continue on this path, we will be unable to achieve justice together because we forgot how to disagree with each other in respectable ways. Sometimes we have to stay in the conversation so we can move towards a more just outcome. And it's not through silencing the voices at your festive table who want to share the pain of their youth, or live into their true identities, it doesn't help to have a room full of apprehensive people who are afraid to say anything to show their true selves, lest someone attack them if justice is your goal. There will be no great final feast where the world comes together if we don't even know the fears of the ones who seek freedom before justice. Because I guarantee they hurt too, and if we can't listen to the beliefs of those who are seeking religious exemptions for vaccines, we can't possibly engage in a conversation about religious liberty and spiritual freedom. Don't talk about anything divisive is just another form of peace through victory. Teresa Bejan in her article, Can't We Just All Disagree, advocates for a return to mere civility, which is defined as the conversational virtue expected from all members of a civil society as such, meant to regulate fundamental disagreements between them. Fundamental disagreements. Things you will never agree on. Because we are always going to have disagreements in our society. She says, mere civility must begin at home with the willingness, and I love this, the willingness to hold one's nose and remain present to one's opponents, no matter how intolerable. And it doesn't preclude protesting for justice or arguing for cultural and societal change. But how are we ever going to find peace through justice if we can't tolerate a meal with the ones we love or our friends with whom we disagree? Bejan concludes, we must disagree without denying or destroying the possibility of common life tomorrow with the people we believe to be standing in our way today. Maybe peace through justice might start at a transformed dinner table, where instead of mindless banter, deep listening and meaningful conversation, and conflict too happens, by staying in the conversation even when the ideas are repugnant to you, because only in relationship is it possible to find common ground, even if it is fragile. By practicing that deep listening with those closest to us with whom we are in conflict, we exercise the muscles that we need for that harder, deeper listening that is so important to bring lasting peace to the world. If COVID has taught us anything, and I hope it has, is that we as a culture are in desperate need of an overhaul. I don't know anybody who wants to go back to normal If you're anything like me, you're looking for change. And I know it's gonna cost me some comfort and I'm gonna have pushing away people who make me uncomfortable. I'm gonna have to stop that. Because we need to follow the path of the champion of peace who they saw in Jesus. The one who showed us how to be fully engaged without having to win. We can sit in the discomfort of disagreement if we do it with love and kindness. If we listen to each other's stories, even if it means we hold our noses to their ideas, we might come to a place of mutual respect and justice that will allow us to truly live together in peace. And that, my friends, has been a long time coming. But I know change is going to come. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.